I'm Aunt Kelly Anakin. And I'm Molly of Mitchell Sanchez. We're here to take birth control and talk about The Handmaid's Tale. Oh, and we're all out of, we're out of both of those things. Mm, we can't blame Trump for this. Yes, we can. This is Red All Over, your graceful alias Grace recap. Let me in. Ooh. That's the last time that you're going to get scared by that. No way, Jose. You're going to do it for when we recap the books, too. Oh, are you right. Not? I forgot that we were doing that. Never mind. <laughs> the scaring will continue. Yep. Oh, boy. But this is the finale, the season finale of Old AG. Yeah. I'm not talking American Girl, though. You know I could. <laughs> oh, you know I could. You're not talking Amazing Grace. No, I could talk about that, but not as long as I could talk about American Girl. Oh, man. Oof. I was in Walgreens the other day. Mm-hmm. I feel like all my stories lately are me at Walgreens <laughs> because I've been there a lot lately. <laughs> um. Anyway, but I was buying a gift card for somebody and they had like an American Girl store Ooh. gift card. And I was like, I just wanted to buy like who... Who do I know that would buy anything in there? You know, at this point, at this late date in our adulthood. I'm but. pretty excited because my parents are moving out of their house. So I'm going to go and do a quick calling mission. And uh, my cousin just said that her daughter really wants an American Girl doll, but they can't afford one. So I'm like, great. Hope you like Molly with some pierced ears because that's what y'all <laughs> about to get. I was going to say, I have a Felicity. Yeah. And yeah. she's in excellent condition, except that her uh, stockings... I don't think it's just that they're moth-eaten. I just think they just started to fall apart because it's like, I got it when I was 16. Whoa. Wait, well, a, wait a minute. Let me explain. Sorry. I like I was I was so proud of myself for one second during this intro. I was like, yeah, we're getting right into it right away. But then we started on this tange and... No, uh, for my 16th birthday, my friends threw me a surprise party and they got their money and my parents' money together to get me a Felicity doll because we never could afford one. And so they got me that for my 16th birthday. That's really nice. Yeah, I know. Let's not talk about this anymore because I already okay. cried at the end of this episode. Oof. And I, I might cry more inside. during the recap. So who knows Ooh, what's going to happen? Oh, I have one housekeeping note. Great. I have meant to correct this like the last two episodes and I keep forgetting. The woman who plays Mary Whitney, her name is Rebecca Lydiard, not Rebecca Liddell. So I'm sorry to all of the people out there who have been feeling very frustrated yeah. that I never corrected myself. But I know I fixed it. I've known for a couple of weeks now. I'm so sorry. Uh, Rebecca Lydiard, you're amazing. She's really great. I'm sure you're going to win whatever Canada does for Emmys. A maple? I don't know. Well, I know I know their Grammys are the Juno Awards. Are They are? Yeah, they are. Okay. Yeah. Do, you, do you know that? I'm so mad at you. <laughs> uh, we have fun here. We uh, do have fun. The other housekeeping thing is just a reminder to don't ask us if we're doing book recap because we are. Yeah, we're um, doing it. We don't know when exactly. We haven't figured out our recording dates. It's uh, November the 1st today. And if you look at the calendar, November goes by like a shot. So we're going to really try really hard to get it done before the holiday stuff happens. So just know that's something we're trying to get done. Hey, guess what? What? It's my birthday month. Woohoo! It's officially my birthday month. Today? I posted a very naughty picture of Rafael Nadal on my Facebook to celebrate. But it's wow. my birthday month. Yeah. I miss that. Check it out. It'll sure. uh, it'll make you it'll make you say, huh. All right. Well I'm I'm excited for you to act uh, more entitled than you already do. <laughs> Just kidding. I, you're my very dear friend. I couldn't do this without you. I appreciate you every I'm, day. I'm ready. 
my right. body is ready. <laughs> All right. Are you ready to recap episode six of Alias Grace? Yeah, man. And look, though, I'm going to tell you right <laughs> off. What the fuck is this even about? Oh, what is her deal? What's going on? What is what is this show? I don't understand what 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 and why. There's no there's no way to know or understand. It is insane. And oh, I love it. My God. But also you know, I'm very frustrated. This is my second time experiencing this story. I've read the book once. Mm-hmm. I've watched this once and I'm on my second reread of the book. And I have a feeling by this time I finished this reread, I feel like I'm going to know more than I do now, but I could be just as confused. I Okay, here's <laughs> what I will say. I I guess this is my third time because I listened to the audiobook. Right. Then I read the book book, which in retrospect, I wish I had not done because I didn't think how to explain. It. So I didn't know that the audiobook was a bridge. Mm-hmm. If I had really understood how abridged it was, I would have waited till the show was over mm-hmm. to reread it. Because like mm. obviously I knew where all the big plot points that were coming, but there was a lot of like little <laughs> detail stuff where I'm like, I wish that I hadn't like spoiled myself on it. Yeah. Um, anyway, we'll talk about that in the book recaps. Great. But so if you're if you're like, oh, I'll read the book before watching the show. I don't know. Yeah, we I, had somebody talking about that on the Facebook page today. I saw that, yeah. I think it's okay to... I mean, I don't think ultimately mm, it matters, yeah. but I'm also like, I'm such a, I read the book first person. Yeah. And well, I wonder sometimes, like, <laughs> if I'm failing to appreciate the TV show, you yeah. know what I mean? I'm right there with you, but I think, whereas this this is so different from Handmaid's Tale for a lot of reasons, but the other, the main reason I think it's different is that the TV show doesn't veer as far from the source material, I believe. No, and for that, I found the TV show to be like this like pure pleasure yeah. where it was just like, yeah, you're going to tick off all these things. Yeah. And it was the familiarity and the comfort of what already happened. You're right. This is a very good adaptation. I feel like it cuts all the chaff and I really enjoy it. So let's get into it. Let's get right into it. So it begins with a quote from I need to I just need to tell everybody right now that Molly's lock screen on her phone <laughs> okay. is the picture of Maggie Atts in her it's an outrage dress <laughs> from Alias Grace and she just unlocked her phone and it made me it's so happy. <laughs> It's good because it's good on a lot of levels. And she's just, oh, she's just not having it. It's so good because on the one hand, it's a picture that makes me laugh because I really like Maggie Atts and I like picturing her getting so into this role. But on the other hand, it's a good like scolding for me anytime I'm at work and I'm procrastinating. I'm like, let me look at my phone. She's like, do you really want to look at your phone right now? Don't you have work to do, Molly? Shouldn't you? Nothing has happened on your Instagram. I checked. (laughs) BT Dubs. If you haven't looked at Maggie at Instagram, go do it. It's so funny. Uh, I did it today and it was a delight. She doesn't know who Louise Belcher is. And I laughed so hard. She's very cute on Instagram. I like her so much. Anywho. So this episode begins with a quote from everyone's favorite sad girl, Emily Dickinson. Who do you think wins in a sad off? Emily Dickinson or Edgar Allan Poe? Well, I feel like women's sadness is sadder. Um, I mean, he left the house too occasionally. That's true. So I feel like she, like she was in it to win it. She was like, "Guess how sad I am? I never go outside." Who is sadder, Emily Dickinson or Sylvia Plath? Sylvia Plath, because 
like Emily Dickinson didn't have a dude mistreating her constantly. Oh, true. Yeah. And she never experienced childbirth. Oh, girl. Very true. <laughs> and I think, didn't Emily Dickinson just die of natural causes? I don't think she committed suicide. Yeah, I don't think so. Sylvia Plath committed like the er suicide. Yikes. We should have a like a March Madness thing, but of like sad women, March sadness. Oh my God. Oh, cool. Sorry, guys. We're doing March sadness. <laughs> Listen, I always, always, always for my podcasts want to do something like that. Okay, goodbye. That's what we're doing. No, and we've actually thought of it like in enough time that we could actually make this happen. Oh, fuck. Hold on to your butts for March <laughs> Sadness 2018, guys. It's also, if anybody from Jezebel is listening to this and you steal our idea, we I will kill you. Swear to God. We I will, love you. We will alias grace you. So. Speaking of alias grace, <laughs> the topic that we are ostensibly here to discuss. All right. So Emmy Dix says, I felt a cleaving in my mind as if my brain had split. I tried to match it scene by scene, but could not make it fit. Ooh, I love that so much. That is really great. That's exactly what pain feels like. Yeah. There's so much good meat in this little section of a poem that actually has another paragraph. And of course, the seam by seam is interesting because it ties into this series' theme of sewing. And quilting. And fabricating. (gasps) Fabricating. (laughs) Oh, how sardonic. But it also reminds me of the quote that Grace says, I believe in episode one, about feeling like a peach that is so ripe that it bursts open. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like something being so full and too vol- voluptuous to keep together, which yeah, is you kind ever, of... You ever try to put two halves of peach together? Can't do it. They won't. <laughs> Once a peach also, is broken, you can't put it back together. Also, I keep putting it in my mouth. I don't understand yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what the big problem is, but can't do it. Really good quote. Really so good quote. the action of the show proper mm. picks up in Toronto... <laughs> Which is how I always want to pronounce it now because of they read in the audiobook, they read the broadsheet poem, oh. which may have been written by Margaret Atwood. The one about Grace Marks? Yeah. I like that one and a lot. And they say that Mr. Kinnear went to Toronto, you know, because it was when all poems had to be like, da, yeah. da, 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 da. Well, I was da, 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 <laughs> exactly. Da, da. I, I was reading that poem aloud because it's in the book. This, I guess, this is the only book thing we'll talk about. And I hope Margaret Atwood didn't write it because um, there are some times when the meter is off just slightly, and it could be fixed by just a the or like a very. It's possible, though, also that she wrote it like deliberately bad. If anybody ever asked me something and they're like, hey, did you write this deliberately bad? I would say, yes, of course I did, because I wouldn't want to own up to writing something that they thought was bad. Get it? Get it? I, it was it's on purpose. Bad. See what I did there? It's of the time. <laughs> Why did you bring that up again? Oh, because we're in Toronto. Oh, that's right. Here we go. Because Dr. Jordan has gone to Toronto to meet with Kenneth McKenzie, who is of no relation to William Lyon McKenzie. Ooh. And this is actually the second time you have these characters who share the last names of mm. people and places from the rebellion. Mm. Nancy Montgomery, <gasps> Kenneth Son McKenzie. Of a gun, you're right. Yeah. So I think it's, I mean, it's not just that it's clever, it was the reality, but I think it also speaks to how small the world of Canada, the world of Canada, (laughs) the world of Canada, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, I mean, just there were not that many people there yeah, and lots of them were related or had the same names and that kind of thing. Anyway. 
I think that's interesting. That is so interesting. And we know from everything Margaret Atwood writes is that names are super important. Kenneth McKenzie. I don't like this guy. Nope. I don't like this actor. Mm-mm. I don't like this guy as a character. He offers Dr. Jordan a sherry. Dr. Jordan says no. And then he gets himself a sherry, sits down, straight up just adjusts his balls. Ew, it's so gross. In front of Dr. Jordan, like... <laughs> Just I, dudes, dude listeners, I know but there's at least two of you. <laughs> but like, do you just adjust your balls? You know, it's very odd. I'm not know. used to the so, idea. But that he, was a cool, that was an interesting actor choice for a character who's obviously supposed to be gross. <laughs> yeah. So he's in this conversation. He's telling Dr. Jordan like, oh, well, can't you see Grace is in love with you? Like, that's why she's telling you all this story. And Dr. Jordan Dr. Jordan looks like he's about to have a nervous breakdown. Like, yeah. he doesn't look okay at all. He's not having he's a good twitchy, time. He's twitchy. His hair is falling in his eyes. And Kenneth McKenzie is like, oh, I see, you know, our fair grace, fascinating grace marks, I think he calls her. And he calls her Our Lady of the Silences, which I assume is a reference to the period of time that she can't remember. Ah. Is my assumption. Okay. Because she talks a lot. Yeah, to be our lady no, that, that seems to be, that seems to check out. So he insists that Grace was also in love with him back Ugh. in the day when he had to sit in her jail cell in Toronto with him. And if he had laid a hand on her, he sure she would have just flung herself at him, Ugh. which is gross. Like we are gross. So, Hey, I think this is the second time that we and Dr. Jordan have been in agreement that <laughs> this is gross. It is gross. And it's such a like callous, gross thing to think that this woman who freaking on record has been sexually assaulted multiple times while in captivity he's like she's just gagging for me like she wants the touch of a man it's like no the problem is she has too much of male touch yeah like she has too much of male touch and she has literally nobody to talk to who this is gonna sound like who's as intelligent as she is well not even that it's just a you're not allowed to talk to anybody in the prison i think that's something I liked from the book is when they have the list of punishments. Mm-hmm. And for talking, they clock you one. Like, they really hurt you for talking. It's a good thing we don't have that on this podcast or we would be a mess. <laughs> That's right. So you can't, she physically is not allowed to talk to anybody at the jail. And even if she were, they make the jail out to be a very scary, I mean, rightly so, like adversarial kind of environment. Well, so she can maybe talk to Clary. She can kind of talk to the other servants who yeah. don't like her. Yeah. And then she's this weird pet yeah. of the governor's wife and Lydia. So she's not like dying for some peen. She's dying for some conversation, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Typical male error. Oh, what they think we want versus what we actually want. Oh, get me that page a day calendar. Anyway, so he is like, Dr. Jordan, she wants to bone you. And Dr. Jordan is like so upset by this. He just he just wants to figure out if she's insane or not. And then Mackenzie somehow goes on this tangent about like, oh, it was a good thing that they tried the Kinnear murder first because yeah. if because they didn't even bother trying the Montgomery murder. And if they had done that... He wouldn't have been able to get Grace off because public opinion would have been against her. And then Dr. Jordan's like, oh, so you agree that she's innocent? And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, no, I think she's guilty of sin. Yeah. Which to me is really the only it's not the only value in this scene, but it's the only valuable thing that Kenneth McKenzie really says. I am fascinated yeah. by the fact that he 
really thinks that she did it. Yeah. So then what is she in jail for then? Accessory to murder or actual murder? I mean, he says that at the time, jurisprudence was pretty rudimentary. So I don't even know that they had so... it. They, I don't think that they had it as like... Anything? Yeah. They were just like, oh, well, she killed this guy. You know, conspiracy to commit murder or accessory okay. before or after the fact. That makes sense. I think it just all was like, you're a murderer. You're nice. a murderer, Harry. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's the, like, gritty reboot we don't need. <laughs> oh, my God. You know what? I usually don't, like, get upset about these things, but if they ever, like, remake Harry Potter, I will pitch a fit. I'll be so mad. And I don't even think, like, there's a bunch of those movies that I think are complete bullwish. Bullwish. Ah, that's the the Harry Potter house you don't know about. You can be a Hufflepuff, a Ravenclaw, a Slytherin, a Gryffindor, or a Bullwish. If you thought Hufflepuff was the accidental house, wait till you see those Bullwish kids. The Bullwish kids are the kids who like basically snuck into Hogwarts. <laughs> They're like, can you read? And the Bullwish kids are like, a little. <laughs> My favorite color is eleven. And like, oh, okay, Bullwish. Here you go. <laughs> You're in a bullwish house. <laughs> they don't win any house cups. They just have like a thermometer. And they're like, this is the bullwish house. <laughs> they're like, shit, how come our house points keep going up and down? <laughs> the bullwish house cup is a mood ring. And they're like, wow, we have yellow points today. I'm never going to stop laughing. I'm never ever stop laughing about this i can't believe you just pulled all that out hey maybe improv is not a bullshit art form after all it's not and if you were wondering when the organic meme of the alias grace recaps came out the last episode that's the answer so all right anyway after all this bullwish <laughs> Yeah, so... Um, Grease is in her cell. Right. And she's Ooh. wondering why Dr. Jordan wasn't there and whether he was in Toronto talking to people to try and figure out if she's guilty or not. And Molly is making Molly's frightened face because it was scary. She looks... Homegirl looks right into camera the first time out of two or three times she does it in this episode, and it chilled me to my core. She's scary, and I don't know why. Oh, like, because I feel like there's a very good case to be made that we shouldn't be afraid of her, mm-hmm. but also I'm terrified of her. Well, I think Mackenzie said that the woman has nerves of steel. She would have made a good lawyer had she been a man. Yeah. And it's like, I feel I'm like, I feel like you have this totally different viewpoint on her. Yeah. You are seeing a person that we haven't seen, but maybe we're getting glimpses of her in these straight at the camera shots. These... This whole episode is like, will the real Grace Marks please stand up? Because I just don't know where to pin her. And I know that's on purpose. I don't either. And again, this is my third time at this rodeo. Man. I am no closer to figuring this bitch out. Darn it. Well, I, 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 I don't know. Again, like Dr. Jordan, I can't say anything for certain. Right. Sarah Gaten should get a maple for this, though, because she is. She definitely should get a maple. So good. She's just killing it she's so good and she gets like this is only the tip of the iceberg of what she can do so much episode left oh man like it's insane so she says something about guilt and that guilt isn't about what you've done but about what others have done to you yeah which i think is interesting and i'm not sure if i agree with that let's unpack what we think she means 
with that. Do you think that she's saying you only have guilt as others ascribe guilt to you? For example, if we look at like the Mary Whitney situation, they can be like, oh, Mary Whitney is guilty of aborting a kid and that's why she dies. Whereas a different reading could be like, no, um, Mr. George Parkinson is guilty, is guilty for impregnating her and then not helping her. Or you could be like the abortionist is guilty because he did a crappy job. So there is nothing inherently to be guilty about. It's the guilt that it gets ascribed. Do you think? Maybe, but maybe also this is going a little bit deeper, but it's like, you can't feel guilty for something that you did. I don't know. I find that to be false within my regular life. Yeah, but. I do too. But it's like, I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. I, I can't say anything more on this. Like, I don't know what the fuck she's talking about. Chew on that phrase, redheads. And, and we'll maybe have a discussion thread because there's so much. Yeah. There's so Guilt. much more. Is it real? <laughs> <laughs> There's different kinds of things to unpack in this versus Handmaid's Tale. Like Handmaid's Tale was kind of like, how do we guess what this world means? In a world. (laughs) Whereas this one's more, in a world. In a world. (laughs) In a world where quilts are deadly. (laughs) Um. So they show her sitting in the parlor after he returns. He's shocked to find that at the jail they've given her like a very like Jonathan Taylor Thomas haircut. Um, it's like a little floppy, but it's still like short and weird. Grace, why do you look like you're starring in Man of the House? <laughs> Grace, I loved you in Jungle to Jungle. Oh, no, that's a different kid. Never mind. Jungle to the Jungle, though. Pretty good movie. Was that a different kid? Yes. Yes. Yes, it was. Okay. Anyhow. And I think that women cutting their hair is never a good thing in literature. <laughs> like, it always belies some tragedy. I'm glad you said in literature, because I'm like, bitch, I'm getting my hair cut tomorrow, and I'll be damned if I reschedule. Oh, man, I want to cut my hair so bad. But I think in literature, oftentimes, it's like a woman's biggest sacrifice of her vanity mm-hmm. is cutting her hair. You got your Joe Marshes. Mm-hmm. You got your, you got your Anna Green Gablesies. You got your, you got your, your, your Gift of the Magis. Ladies cutting the hair. Eponine, you're cutting your hair left, right, and center. It's sad times. <laughs> I love that you've just turned into this like New York <laughs> pawn shop doorstep <laughs> philosopher yeah. literary teacher lady. <laughs> that's that's all I've ever wanted to be. I can't I genuinely can't think of a time in literature where a lady cut her hair and they're like, Yeah, this is a start of well, something positive. At a particular time, Marianne Spears in the Babysitters Club. Everybody got so pissed when she cut her hair. They sure did. She she's all that at herself. <laughs> Which is hilarious because the girl who played Marianne in the movie of the Babysitter's Club played the main girl and she's all that. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Deep cuts. Just like the cuts on a hair of a woman mm-hmm. yep. in yep. crisis. Yeah, and they did not do a good job at all with her hair. No, they it did a real hack job. Astonishingly bad. But I think why is this why is this in here, you think? Uh, I think it's in there because, you know, she's got this whole life that he's not part of. Yeah. And he can't believe that her hair was cut. She got it cut because she had too many marks against her for talking. So there you go. And, you know, he he has this sense of her as being sort of frozen in time. Yeah. But when he's not there, her life continues. 
And not only that, so she's sitting there. She was looking at Lydia's keepsake book. And he's, he's, she's like, I was trying to think about what to tell you. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not talking anymore. We're just doing this hypnosis thing. Okay, bye. And, but then she's like, oh, I think Miss Lydia wanted you to find her keepsake book because <laughs> Lydia is so thirsty. Yeah. For Dr. Jordan specifically. Yeah. And so she's left it in there. Grace is sort of paging through it. And he's like, what? would you put in your keepsake book grace yeah they hit this a bunch in this episode but uh just to kind of close the loop on the hair thing i wonder if we're supposed to see it as like a catalyst for him thinking like fuck we gotta try to free her or hear her side faster because she's in shitty conditions but i mean she's been in shitty conditions. that's what i think so too so i'm just a little confused about its inclusion i have additional thoughts on the inclusion of that as well as this keepsake thing but they are more for the book discussion but she does tell him that what she would put in her keepsake book are a piece of cotton from her prison nightgown a piece of blood-stained petticoat and a strip of a handkerchief, white, with blue flowers, love and a mist. The first one and the third one are pretty obvious what they are, but the middle one, do you think it's the bloodstained petticoat from the murders? Or do you think it's the petticoat that she used to when she was on her period? Her diva cup petticoat. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're invited to think Yeah, of I was going to say, things. I don't think, you know, I don't, again, I think this is very much a, get it? <laughs> That's Margaret Atwood's favorite quilt pattern. <laughs> get it? It looks like whatever you want. It's a magic eye quilt. (laughs) Knowing what we know about the end of the story, I think it's the period petticoat. But I think you're right. It is a quilt of many meanings Mm -hmm. or a petticoat of many meanings. So then we go to a scene of Grace doing her cleaning. She's singing the hymn Amazing Grace and she wonders if she was named after it. Mm -hmm. And she says that she would like to be found. She would like to see or be seen. And she quotes the Bible and says, for we see now through a glass darkly. And she has this great line about, you know, if we're seeing through a glass there must be two like one to see and be seen Hmm, and it's one of my favorite quotes like i think it's just like a great demonstration of like what this book is about if it's about anything Mm. which is like what you know what are what are we as humans you know if we're looking at ourselves is it ourselves looking at ourselves is it something separate that's looking at sort of like a separate part of ourselves i don't know it's just like what is consciousness? Well, it's also the only people who can see what our face looks like is other people. Because yeah. the way that we see it is like through a mirror or through a camera lens true. or something. We can't see the true primary source, what our face looks like. Mm-hmm. So, so too is grace really a reflection of all these men's desires and all the women in the book are like conduits to whatever male is nearest to them is thinking at the same time. You could argue that Dr. Jordan is that to Miss Humphreys and Mm -hmm. to the townspeople. And we're all just reflections of how other people perceive us. Who is that girl I see? Staring straight back at me When will my reflection show Who I am inside You want to take the whisper verse? No, I don't know the whisper verse. When will my reflection show Who I am 
you're doing the Christina Ags version. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> Come on. I mean, real talk, the best song in that entire movie is I'll Make a Man Out of You. Yes. <laughs> One billion percent. When I used to commute to the city, I would listen to that song for like 40 minutes. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're um, about to get down to business. Of the morning. I was like, I got to like get out there, man. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. That shows how different our commutes were because I used to listen to the Belle song from Beauty and the Beast on my way to work. <laughs> Bonjour, 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 bonjour. Except it'd be like, there goes that man who lives inside the doorway. <laughs> Have you seen that tweet? That's like, you know, somebody's like, Belle, there goes the baker with his tray, like always. And it's like, baker, bitch, I am right here. Like, I there, can hear you. There goes Belle with their mean ass commentary. <laughs> anyway, we've gone far afield. Listen, we need to talk about this episode. Oh, the next part is so good. This, to me, is the best part of the story. Yes. But this is my favorite part. Yes. When agreed. I was rereading the book, I was like, just give me this part. Get me this part. Get me this part. Get me to it. What I like, though, before we even dive into this beautiful jacuzzi of weirdness, <laughs> we got to spend a little time in the pre-plunge shower, which is the scene with her... And my boyfriend, Zachary Levi, right before she goes in, she's got her seance dress on. Yeah, I'm like, why did they put her in different clothes? I'm very confused. Anyway, she looks great. They've got a cute little skull cap on her. It's awesome. Cute little hat, cute little dress. But it's like, this this scene takes like a split second, but it's like, they're both sitting out in the hallway. He says, are you ready, Grace? And she gets up and goes in. But we don't know what they talked about before that. Oh, it's a sweet scene. Mm -hmm. Just because the NMADRS kind of entrance into this scene is a conversation has just finished and we don't know i think i don't know how you could read it otherwise i mean i I guess i I do but you know i don't know like again i think the thing that confuses me the most who is grace talking to like this is her story right like we're getting grace's sort of point of view in a way that we're not getting anybody else's point of view like we get her internal monologue sometimes no, I think that question is answered. I think the the whole arc is that she is writing this letter. I don't think that's true, though. I think the letter doesn't mm. happen until she's free. No, I think it's a whole... I think we're meant to take it as a whole, potentially. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if, like, the, the you switches ever. Yeah. That would require a way closer reading, and I'll try to pay close attention when I'm reading it now, but I think, I don't know. Anyway, I still don't know who she's talking about or to. Yeah. And I don't know. Look, regardless, she's only telling this person selected things. Like she could tell right. us what this conversation was and she chooses not to. Yeah. Yes. Ooh, yeah. Okay. I think that you're right. That makes it a little more ambiguous. Because I'm like, well, like anyway. Okay. So they, ha- they have had maybe some kind of conversation, but we have no idea. Well, it's significant either way because they know they know each other. No one else knows that. This is the they only. Know they know t- each other and their plan mm-hmm. before all of this murder shit went down you know, yeah. she was going to run off with him and be a medical clairvoyant. Mm-hmm. So they're getting the band back together, maybe. Potentially. Potentially. But then they go in to the parlor. They're at Mrs. Quinnell's. 
<laughs> and Mrs. Quinnell is played by Diane Dequila, <laughs> who has a just a breakout performance. She's phenomenal, episode. and she was also in Slings and Arrows. She played the oh, Minister of Culture. Great. And if you ever went to the Stratford Shakespeare Festival, she is a frequent actress there. So I've seen her wow. in a couple of productions there. Now you've been to this Stratford Festival. Let me ask you one thing, since you're so worldly. Y'all ever been hypnotized? I've never been hypnotized. Never? I've never been hypnotized. Have you seen a hypnotist show? I have seen a comedy hypnosis show. What the what? It is upsetting. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, the I guy have hypnotizes too. everybody and then they all do absurd things. Oh, like, yeah. I've seen know? that as well. That was at my high school grad night. Yeah. And I just like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I'm afraid of being hypnotized. I would like, I would like it to a specific end like my hand has hovered several times over a like hypnotize you so you're not afraid to take the driving test tape i almost have bought this tape or in cd a bunch of times you don't have your driver's license don't have my driver's license. oh my god that's a story for another day but okay. i've been i've thought about it and but the unfortunately the only person i know who is a hypnotist is mitch's uncle and he has a penchant for comedy hypnotizing people and i just don't want to put myself in that position I mean, there's professionals you can hire. I guess, but then I'd be like, oh, God, I'm sinking all this money into hypnotism. I just feel embarrassed. So maybe one day when I trust Uncle Jay enough, but I don't know. I love Uncle Jay, and I don't know if I will ever trust him that much. Well, anyway. Anyhow, they're getting ready. They're getting ready to do it. And so he, you know, he puts her under. Oh, wait. As he's putting her under, I wrote the note, cute, tiny face acting. Because he has his back. Oh, he, from him? From or, him. Yeah. From Zachary Leoy. Because he has his back to the crowd and he looks at her and you can read this several ways. That's the thing too is like his facial expressions are so hard to read in this scene. He gives her a little bit of a little smile as he's putting either. I can't remember if it's as he's putting her under or as he's putting the veil over her face. It's I as think he's putting it's her as under because under. she's already under by the time he puts the veil over her. So you could read this gesture as is it a wink? To be like, all right, and action. Uh huh. Or is it like, a, I got you. Don't worry, I'm not gonna hurt you. Yeah. It could be so many things. Literally every facial expression, every word that he <sighs> says in this scene. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I believe you. Either way, and I'm I mean, sopping wet. And like by the <laughs> by the end of it, I'm like, he seems shook. Yeah. But I can't tell if he's shook. For re- anyway, okay. So Ugh. let's get into. The actual hypnosis. So he gets her under and it's Grace and she, you know, in her own voice is <laughs> speaking and he's asking, you know, can she hear him? Is she asleep? And she's like, yes. They're doing the cool like hypnotist tricks or like, can you bend your arm? Mm-hmm. No. Although even that, because like if somebody else had done it, I would totally believe that that was true. But I nobody believe- else volunteered to test her arm. Right. And I'm like, okay, like you can fake this. Totally. So they, she gets under and then he's like, okay, Dr. Jordan, now we can ask her questions. And Dr. Jordan is like, okay, ask her, does she like me? Yes or no? <laughs> and is it like, like, or like a friend, like? <laughs> he, you know, he gets there. But um, <laughs> they have her sort of go in her mind's eye. She's on the veranda at the Kinnear residence. They want her to go to the cellar. Lydia just sucks balls. So like Grace's eyes like pop open and Lydia's like, ah, her eyes are open. And Jeremiah's like, bitch, please calm down. That's when he puts the veil over her. There's this moment where her head kind of lifts and Lydia's like, there's a spirit in the room. I can feel it. And, uh, well, either there is a spirit in the room or 
Grace has heard this and is like, let's uh, have a little fun, you with your keepsake album. Mm -hmm. So then all of a sudden, her voice changes completely. She has no Irish accent. It is creepy AF. I wrote in my notes, stop using different voices. I will call the cops. (laughs) (laughs) As it very much scared me. And because it's a voice, it's like, oh, hello, I need you to stop. Okay. But yes, it is like that. It's very much like that. If you miss what she said, rewind her to say it because it's very. Oh, spooky. but I wanted to say the part about the mouse hole. All right, fine. When we when when we get there, okay, you can cover your ears. No, I'll just brace myself. I'm okay, a, I'm a brave girl. God is bigger than the boogeyman. I do not I'm believe okay. you are brave at all. Anyway, she's responding to the question: Did you have relations with James McDermott? And she says. Uh, you're gross. <laughs> you're nasty. <laughs> it's mostly none of your business. And she says something to him about, you'd better watch out for that little mouse next to you in her furry mouse hole too. And I'm like, ew, gross. But also it's hilarious. You are a true friend because you augmented your voice from the spot on interpretation you can do to like a lesser voice. Yeah, you're welcome. You basically did it like if Shannon was talking. <laughs> And I so appreciate that. Thank you very much. Yeah. So she's saying very racy. She's saying that she would go out and make out with McDermott to the point where he was very sexually frustrated. She She says that Mr. Kinnear was on her string as well, which we don't see any sort of flashback to. But we did have that a couple episodes ago, him chasing her around. Yeah. So (sighs) who knows what is real now? And so she talks about... Doing that, he wants to know if she killed Nancy Montgomery. And she says, yes, I was in the cellar. We get these two versions of it. It's really weird because the first version we get, we see Grace pulling on one end of the handkerchief Mm -hmm. along with James McDermott. Like a wishbone, but killing someone. Oh, not the dog. Okay. No, Uh, like (laughs) they weren't solving a mystery. What's the murder wishbone? (laughs) Actually, before we progress too far, I promise I'll remember where we were. But what do you make of the version where Grace is like eighth grade dance seducing McDermott and Kinnear? Do you think it's just a like she is hedging her bet? She's like, if I have McDermott on my side, I can get some action done. But if I have Kinnear on my side, he can throw money behind things or power. Like, I don't know what the end game would be there necessarily. You mean if she's Grace? Well, no. If whoever is driving Grace's body is seducing these people, I fucking don't know. If a person walking around looking like Grace is seducing these two men, to what end? I don't understand. I don't quite know. I mean, I do think she has a grudge against Nancy, which Mm -hmm. again, I don't feel like Grace has been a super reliable narrator about. I think that you know, she was 15. She yeah. had potentially a natural curiosity about these things. That's true. And had also learned that women have no power. That's true. So okay. I don't know. But I also, I'm team that wasn't Grace. Like if I Ugh. have to, if I have to come down on a side. Yeah. I'm team that's not Grace. Okay. And I don't even believe myself when I say, you know what I mean? <laughs> like I'm like, I see how that makes no sense. <laughs> okay. But... <laughs> I, yeah, so I think 
she was trying to consolidate as much power as she okay. could, what limited access to power she has. Fair. And if this isn't grace, we're not, e- okay, we can't even keep talking about right, this right. because I'll go back to where yeah. you, where you were. So where you were was you're saying there is a version of the murder where grace is pulling with McDermott and they both strangle her with the scarf. Correct. Then Lydia, I hate Lydia so much. <laughs> I think she might be my least favorite character. Yeah. Okay. I'll like, you know, I'll make a ranking. But (laughs) so she's like, I always thought you did it. And she's like genuinely delighted in a way that is gross to me where she's just like, ooh, like she can't wait to tell all of the other dumb girls that she hangs out with. Listen, they don't have Netflix. Like (laughs) you need to give them a mulligan. Like she can't be like, oh, I'm going to binge House of Cards. Like, no, she's got nothing to watch. Well, and then the governor's wife is like, Grace, you've deceived us. And then she says, just warning you. Okay. You've deceived yourselves. And it's so scary. I like also that you gave her like vocal fry. Yeah. That makes me feel better too. I'm just trying to make you feel okay. <laughs> but she's right. And that goes back to what we keep saying is we're only reflections of people's perception of us. And so they so wanted to believe that they had this like tame murderess uh-huh. in their house. <laughs> Honestly. I just like the idea of a tame murderess. Oh, this is our pet murderess. It's like that Futurama episode where they're like, <laughs> we taught this lion to only eat tofu. <laughs> <laughs> that lion was sad, by the oh. way. It was a very sad lion. But yeah, they they loved this perception that she was tame. You know, Dr. Jordan loved the perception that she was chaste, but for things done to her. Mm -hmm. And so they're both having the revelation that she could be a way more active participant in all of these things. And it's rocking their world. And then there is this sort of debate going on. So Jeremiah has tried numerous times to be like, this is not a seance. Everybody calm calm down. down. But then Mrs. Quinnell like goes (laughs) off because she is like, I don't know if they established that in the show, but she's like the, their resident spiritualist. Yeah. So she's like, well, you know, sometimes a ghost will come and, and pretend to be somebody. Maybe it's McDermott yeah. coming here to, you know, cast aspersions on Grace. Or maybe it's Nancy. And then the ghost is like, Nancy. Nancy couldn't talk. Not with her neck like that. And you're just like, what the fuck are you talking about? Well, it's also like Mrs. Quinnell is like the person on every like historical tour who wants to prove that like they know more than the host. Yes. She keeps, I just think it's a good moment of comedy to like interrupt this, this scary scene Mm -hmm. when she's like, I think it's McDermott. And they're like, no, she goes, "Uh, it's Nancy. And they're like, no. And she goes, it's McDermott and Nancy. And Grace is like, no. (laughs) So then she says that the doctor likes riddles. He knows who she is. Cause she talks about the handkerchief. She says that it was a shame to lose the handkerchief. She'd had it such a long time. It was her mother's, but McDermott wouldn't let her take the handkerchief, nor Nancy's gold earrings, neither. And it like, okay, I want to kick Dr. Jordan for how long this takes him. Bitch, she has to sing it to to get him. She has to sing the song about Mary. Yeah. And it's dope. But before that, she sings Rock of Ages. So creepy, which like gives now Rock of Ages a completely different meaning. I know. Before it was just that Tom Cruise movie. (laughs) And now it's this. It's so dumb. Grace knew like 
five people tops <laughs> and he couldn't like like miss quinnell ran out like three of them yeah and he's like she, i feel bad i don't though. know i feel bad for mr kinnear nobody was like oh mr kinnear showed up like <laughs> nope nobody cares about him you were ancillary this whole time like nothing <laughs> nothing interesting so Ooh. he's like yeah mary whitney oh my god i do like she says some things about nancy which I enjoy. She says that now Nancy is her friend. Nancy isn't angry anymore. She understands. She wants to share things. What do you think that means? I don't know. I don't know either because I feel like it comes up again later. Like the idea of like sharing things. So like if this is Mary Whitney, if this is, and she is speaking from beyond the grave where potentially she has like ghost girl hangouts with Nancy, Mm -hmm. I guess the shared thing would be they're sharing this experience of grace, like enacting her rage or they're sharing grace's body. Yeah, maybe. But I think it's more like they're sharing grace as like a big radio to broadcast their lingering rage at these uptight people. So it's like their way to spew their like sexual frustration and Mm -hmm. they're like, yes all men and they're like they're all their their feelings as they share her potentially maybe or there's ghost orgies <laughs> i mean that's the second logical conclusion Which mr kinnear is not invited to he's not invited to they're like all the cool ghosts come here let's have a ghost orgy they're like david bowie ghost here they're like who was a cool lady ghost uh uh marilyn monroe here <laughs> I'm like, I can't think of any cool lady ghosts. I don't know. Please send in your submissions for cool lady ghosts to join the ghost orgy. (laughs) Anyhow, that's how I read it. Did you have a different reading? No. I mean, I just, I don't know. Like, Mm. I don't know if it's that. I don't know if it's sharing, you know, do they need stuff in ghost world? Like, do they need, like, groceries? Do they borrow a cup of ghost sugar? Like, but anyway, so then the other thing that we see, she says that Grace didn't know anything about any of it. And she said that she had to kill Nancy because the wages of sin is death. But Nancy's, like, forgiven her. Yeah, which is messed up because then it makes Mary Whitney a person who died from a quote-unquote sin of, like, premarital sex. Mm -hmm. Real weird and judgy on another premarital sex baby out of wedlock haver. And that doesn't make sense to me. That doesn't make sense to me. Maybe that's how she felt then, but it's been 15 years and she's changed her mind. Honestly, I think that is a glaring point on the side of this ghost. Grace is doing this as a performance because what the fuck? What? What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) What would that room of looky loos of fucking like uptight looky loos want to hear other than kill all the women who engage in premarital sex, punish grace for engaging in premarital sex. The only way that she could is if she didn't know about it. Like this seems like, honestly, if I was imagining the conversation that happened before they went into the room, It would be Jeremiah and them going like, listen, these guys hate sex and they want to see people who had sex punished even beyond the grave. So your whole, the game of this, if we're talking about it like a sketch, (laughs) the game of this is you hate people who have premarital sex and people who have premarital sex have to be killed. Okay, Okay? go. And we need a suggestion from the audience. (laughs) Are you the spirit of Mary Whitney? Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) So that's, I think that's a tally in favor of that. I want it to be Mary Whitney's ghost so badly. Not me. I want it to be her ghost so much. And not because I find it spooky. I I think that'd be cool, but it's just, 
I think, honestly, to make it an honest-to-goodness ghost story at the end of all of this, to me, feels like a cop-out. Not me. I think it's more <laughs> interesting that way. Mm, I well, think it's much more interesting. And I don't, I don't know, though, because there's no... Every yeah. time I think, because like you make a good point there, there's other things that happen that mm. are said later where I'm like, oh, that seems like maybe this was a thing. But, okay, sorry. I'm getting back to the plot again. Because she says that Grace didn't know anything about it. They wanted to hang her and that would have been wrong. And she doesn't want to go back to the asylum. She liked it. She said she liked it there at first, but nobody believed her. Well, she liked it because she got to talk. Yeah. And so, okay. So let's talk about what are the options. So the options here... Legit okay. ass ghost. Yes. Possessing Le- Grace at right. various times of her life. Second possibility, like a dual consciousness, like a mental illness right. where she legitimately has like these two different personalities inside of her. Like a dissociative identity. Exactly. Disorder. And I mean, I think given the traumas that Grace has been through and her like superstition about like opening the window, because Mary comes back to that and she says that she didn't open the window mm-hmm. to let her out, which as we know was not a wide known superstition because Grace herself did not know about it until mm-hmm. her boat passage yeah and then third option grace is making all of this up i fall somewhere in the valley between option two and option three and i fall <laughs> much more in the valley between option one and option two. Ooh, interesting well i would also say like i i don't i don't know what jeremiah knows that's you know what the i mean thing. i don't know what jeremiah knows i don't know how aware he is of the plot to get her out of prison. I don't know if what's his game in all this. Has he specifically come here to try to do something with grace? And if so, is the purpose to get her out of prison or to build his own credentials as a mesmerist? And I don't know the answer to that. There's even less of a way to answer that. I would also say to a degree, I can't remember if grace knew ahead of, when does she know about, that Dr. Jordan's trying to like help her be proved innocent. And get, I mean, she knows that this from the jump. Yeah. So she knows that this committee's trying to get her out of prison. However, like this, this to me, and Dr. Jordan says this explicitly, this can't have any part in a petition, an official petition to get her sprung from jail. This is not evidence. Right. I think that. So that to me is a mark against it being her play acting because Again, going way back to the first scene of this episode, what's what you know? What is the game? If the game is to stay in the room with Doctor Jordan as long as possible, fine. If the game is to get out of prison, I don't see how making this story up gets her any closer to that goal. Well, I here, here's the thing: if option three is true, option three being it's a performance, mm-hmm. I don't think Grace made it up. I think it's a plan from Jeremiah to try and set her free. Now there's holes in this theory because why did he wait eight years Mm -hmm. to come pick her up? It's pretty like, it's very well documented where she is. Why did he not come sooner if this was his goal? And the thing that I think is important here is that by giving her confession, quote unquote, she's saying that she was driven by a force outside of her control and other than her. So I don't know how, uh, quite how that would have a bearing on the case because to me it would seem like that makes her more dangerous yeah. if that's something that can just happen. Well, and that's the thing too is like, okay, so let's say get rid of option one, get yeah. rid of option three. Okay. This is a mental illness. Yeah. That's just back to the asylum. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's mm. really a risky proposition to be making it up. Anyway, listen, I just wanted to get you around to the, you know, the place of like plausible deniability. Like, I just think they're all kind of equally valid. No, like, I'm I think sorry. there's absolutely no way. I mean, and I, you know, and you like, you're totally, I just want to make sure we were like giving them all kind of equal consideration Ooh, on the podcast, but it's like, I definitely waver between one and two. And I think that's what's so deliciously at Woodian yeah. about this book is that you're right. All of those can be true. It's just how you read it, what perception you bring to the book. Exactly. Back to the show. Finally, Mary Whitney, after realizing that she's not being believed or understood because Dr. Jordan goes hard at her. Mm -hmm. This also, I think, is a point in the favor of options one and two is like, he's like, Grace, if this is you, you know, if you're making this up, I mean, granted, I wouldn't just like his tone is so like. If I was making it up, I would double the fuck down. I'd be like, step off of my ghost plan. We've all been in that argument where you're like, oh shit, being mean's not working. I could be sad. Yeah. So anyway, (laughs) that seems very relatable to me. Mary's bummed and she like recedes and then it seems like she's gone. And Mrs. Quinnell's like, you can tell when they leave. Wait, there's an electricity. (laughs) And everybody's like, oh my God, Mrs. Quinnell, shut the fuck up. Mrs. Quinnell, you need to stop. I think, though, this whole interaction with Ghost Mary Whitney performance, Mary Whitney or dissociative identity disorder, uh, Mary Whitney, is the title of the book, though, is because we'd always seen in those primary sources, the documents that we'd seen, it's Grace Marks alias Mary Whitney, and it's Mary Whitney alias Grace. Yeah. Ah, That's a crazy, (laughs) that's crazy. It's so fun to like feel like you're putting the, the pieces together. Well, and I mean, if you think about it, like Grace is such a blank canvas and such like a she's like a servant Mary Sue. You know what I mean? <laughs> like if you were in a, OK, and like this is also like kind of like a Gosford Park. I believe they call those the Amelia Bedelia. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> he told me, oh, I'd be making a killing. <laughs> I'm Amelia Bedelia. Celebrated murderous. At any rate, <laughs> God, where's the gritty reboot of Amelia Bedelia? The world has been clamoring for. Do you know what I forgot about and recently was reminded of was when they were going to do a gritty reboot of Little Women on like the CW, where Ooh. like they were like homeless and like Ooh. selling drugs and stuff. Ooh. No, you're no? wrong. Absolutely mm. not. It was oh. insane. Anyway, okay. I'll send you the article. Cool. She stops being Mary Whitney and then Jerome DuPont, alias Jeremiah, mm. alias Molly's boyfriend, mm-hmm. brings her out of the trance. Now, I would have kept her under a little bit longer. <laughs> Wait a second. We've got some nooks and crannies. Yeah, so I'd be like, of- okay, so you're not this other person anymore. Uh, what happened? <laughs> like, who else is in there? Yeah, exactly. Like, is this a civil situation? Like, yes. what's going on? But Which he is, just brings her out and then he has Mrs. Quinnell take her to a bedchamber to lie down. And Grace says she doesn't remember anything. She was asleep. She was dreaming of her mother who was very peaceful and at rest. Which is interesting because what her mother and Mary Whitney have in common is that neither of them were able to get out soul-wise after their deaths. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what that means. 
Me neither. I feel like that could just be the end of every scene in this episode is like, I don't know what this means. We have been watching this for six episodes now, and we're no closer to understanding what the hell is going on than we were in episode one. It's it's delightful. So once she's out of the room, Jeremiah, as I said, looks very shook. And he looked he shook when she was in the trance. So maybe, gosh, maybe that's even like a weird middle option where it's like it was meant to be pretend, but she was so open to the experience that she actually did undergo some kind of trance. Yeah. I mean, I <sighs> I also think this doesn't change our options like one, two and three, but maybe she's fucking with Jeremiah as well. To what end? <laughs> well, he wouldn't marry her. Uh. And we know Grace likes to hold a grudge. Wow, that is so interesting. Oh, God. Look, I mean, he wouldn't marry her. And you're right. He waited 15 years to show up. Yeah. And he can't even do like the guy in the notebook and be like, I wrote you every day. And she's like, what? You didn't. (laughs) Sorry to spoil the notebook for you. I've never Uh, seen it. I'm never going to see it. So it's fine. Oh, I wonder if you'd like it. I don't believe in love anymore, Molly. There's (laughs) no point. Nicholas Sparks has nothing for me. Oh, boy. So... There's there's a conversation, though, between Reverend Verringer. <laughs> I feel like this is the first episode where we find out what his name is, by the way. <laughs> and then Jeremiah and Dr. Jordan. And Dr. Jordan's like, I can't write no stinking report. He's like, I can't write anything about this. Because if we talk about this, mm-hmm. this petition will definitely not go forward. And yeah. the Reverend is like, well, you spent all that time talking with her. And he's like, I still don't know anything. And we're like, we get it. So this is the third time we've agreed with Dr. Jordan. Oh. I do also want to point out that the second bit of comedic relief in this scene comes when they she says the mouse hole bit re Lydia's vagina and the reverend goes it's so funny good job crony Very oh good. my goodness you get a cracky yep you get uh, one cracky she also called her a slut Oof. because Lydia had grabbed hold of his hand Oof. and we see her boner. see that underneath the veil but again it's like is it grace seeing the doctor holding her hand or is it mary whitney inside of grace seeing doc- the doctor holding her hand oh she also was like dr jordan i know you want to fuck me and he was like who told you did you find my cootie catcher um, <laughs> it was one game of mash i swear and she's like yeah no way i would live in a shack you asshole i'd never live in a shack you fool <laughs> Everybody knows I would drive a BMW. So anyway, he's like, and he says, the truth eludes me. And I'm like, preach. I have no idea what the fuck is going on. Grace Marks' Wikipedia page is so inconclusive. Oh, it's good. I can't wait to talk about it. And then he leaves. My next note is, excuse me, I have to have a think fuck. Mine is most uncomfortable sex scene of all time. Of all time. It's pretty bad for me. Like, this oh. one was pretty bad. You don't mean uncomfortable, like funny uncomfortable. I mean, like, hurt. Yeah, hurts I mean, your like, feelings. I was really upset by uh, this sex scene. Like, yeah. I was less so, because, like, when I, again, I was watching it in my room on my computer. And it was very close to me. So I could mm. see her face and I could mm. see his face like really close up. That's true. And the camera just pans out. So it's Mrs. Humphreys. Mm-hmm. And he is fucking her in a very weird way. Yeah. And it's very uncomfortable. And then the worst part, he gets up. And I don't know that how often I've seen such a frank like he's like putting his dick away and like buttoning his pants back up. And then he goes, I always wanted to do that with someone else. 
not with you. Ugh. And it's so brutal. My mouth was open for most of it. Like I was horrified. It's so sad. I was more upset by this than you were by the ghost of Mary Whitney. Like I was yeah. so upset by this. So then, then she starts crying and then he decides that the appropriate reaction is to wang his head into the wall. Okay. Thank you. I thought there's no way you could have seen this properly. He didn't bang his head against the wall. He was like his shoulder or something. So you also saw yeah, head hit wall. Head. Oh, what a weirdo. And it was the door jam. It wasn't even a wall. Oh, I hate him. Which considering what happens to him later, is that <laughs> foreshadowing? But it's so sad. We see Mrs. Humphreys kind of assume this same position that grace does when she's washing the floor and is the victim of mr kinnear's gaze Mm -hmm. so women are just these crouched people who are subject to men's errant boners yeah i was gonna say another kind of possession but basically yes that's a good way of putting it too boners gross so you're right that's terribly upsetting this is very upsetting. The next scene we get is Dr. Jordan like looking at the penitentiary and the voiceover is he's writing a letter to Reverend Verringer. This is really interesting. This is not in the book. I don't think. <sighs> it could be, but I just read it and I didn't see it anywhere. And I thought it was really interesting that they like shoehorned this in here because mm-hmm. he posits that hypnosis and mesmerism give women freedom to say, what they think and to give vent to their rage. And he wonders about the rage that might drive grace because she was abused by her father. She was abused at Mrs. Alderman Parkinson's and lost her friend. And she was Mm -hmm. abused at Mr. Kinnear's. And he wonders if the spirit quote unquote that possessed her was so violent, not to vent rage at Nancy Montgomery and Mr. Kinnear, but at him, like was this designed specifically to hurt him. I feel like this gilds the lily a little yeah. bit much in terms of the way that they cut the previous episode where we're meant to kind of read that she's sexually jealous of him. Yeah. And I feel that, that kind of undercuts the possession scene as well. I mean, I don't think it's out of the question that Grace could feel possessive of him. Yeah. But I also don't feel like it's like she doesn't care that much. Yeah, I don't think so. I think it's again him kind of being him doing what the lawyer Mackenzie did is like, mm-hmm. she's only doing this because she likes me. She's like, you know how when girls like you, they pretend to speak through a ghost mouth and <laughs> say shitty things oh, about man. you and your ex-girlfriend? That's what I should have done. You should have done that. God damn it. If only I had thought to be possibly possessed or have a dissociative personality problem. I know. Or... Uh, man well she is i I gotta just go back to the drawing board (laughs) she is if when you actually it's kind of funny because if we're looking at it through that lens mary whitney is sort of well is explicitly grace marks as tyler durden (gasps) figure oh my god from fight club do you think she jizzed in the soup yes (laughs) (laughs) but it's like it's very hard for like ladies to to do that she she had to like really work really hard and then just bloop It was like little by little. Hey, man, bitch did make her own soap. So (laughs) this Fight Club Alias Grace crossover is a thing. But I'm I'm here for it. But in that in that version, it is a way for the protagonist to express his grosser, weirder Uh feelings. And so that's kind of what he's saying is happening with Grace. Where's Meatloaf in all this? Uh, Meatloaf is... Mrs. Quinnell. Okay, moving on. (laughs) Her name was Mrs. Quinnell. 
Her name was Mrs. Quinnell. So then we get the Reverend telling Grace. Well, we get Grace's voiceover telling us that the Reverend is telling her that Dr. Jordan is gone. Mm -hmm. And she thinks it's odd that after they talked so long, he would just leave without saying goodbye. So clearly nobody has told her anything about what went on. Right. When she was mesmerized. So either she's pretending not to remember or she genuinely doesn't remember. Right. But she wouldn't, you know, she would know not to like say that to him. But she then is remembering Jeremiah's prediction when he read her Pam <laughs> that everything would turn out all right in the end. And it hasn't. And she's very confused as to how it could possibly turn out all right in the end at this point. Eleven years later. No, two years later. What? Yeah. We see Dr. Jordan again. Two, two years later. He's writing another letter to Dr. Berenger about Ugh. how he still has a boner for Grace. <laughs> he doesn't understand. He's like, I'm like, this idiot is like, oh, I can't do anything because I'm so upset by it. It's like, get your shit together, man. Get your shit together. Live your life. Anyway, he feels like he's being haunted because one does not need to be a chamber to be haunted, if yeah. we remember. From episode one. Yeah. Uh, but he's uh, he's very happy that there's a civil war on the horizon because he just wants a duty. So then uh, we see him leaving home in his Union Army uniform. And he actually looks pretty dashing. He does look pretty dashing. He does look pretty dashing. Throw a uniform on the ugliest mug and uh, <laughs> looks pretty good. I want that quilted on a sampler. <laughs> All right, so now is it 11 years later? Now it's 11 years later. All right, set the scene. Grace is 35, and she's got hella gray hair, which she's is that what happens? 40, is she, I think she's 45. Oh, gosh. I, I maybe I'm conflating my timelines, because I thought in the book, when the action begins in the book, she's 24. No, when the action begins in the book, like, yes, but that's a dream that she has. What? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Like in the very beginning when she has that dream. She's 24 at that point. Huh. I'm not sure if that's... Anyway, she's... Okay. okay, look. How old is she at the beginning of this story? She's 30. She's 30 when Dr. Jordan comes? Yeah. Look, I have many issues with the aging up that is about to happen. Okay. It seems fake, but okay. I anyway, feel like... Because it's 1843 is when the murders happened. Okay. This is 1859. Okay. So does that equal thing? Yeah. Yeah. You're the one who wanted to do math <laughs> on the podcast. I'm telling you, okay. when okay. she's released from prison, she's 45. Okay. Or like 44. That almost makes 45. Sense. Okay. Fine. Okay. So she's 45. <laughs> fine. She's 45 and still alive. And they're like, Grace, guess what? You're pardoned. Yay. And she asks, is it not a cruel joke? That would be so fucked up. (laughs) April Fools. No one's ever done an April Fool before. It was Mrs. Quinnell's idea. (laughs) She just pops out. She's like, um, actually, spirits love April Fools. (laughs) So she's got it. And she says something that I think you're meant to think about it in terms of acting, maybe, or of like changing who you are. It's like it calls for a different arrangement of the face. "Uh That's another one of my favorite lines. Mm-hmm. I love it. And it also has like shades of Wolf Hall in the book. Thomas Cromwell is always saying to himself in italics, arrange your face. Mm. So I just love the idea of a face arrangement. Mm-mm. It's not an edible arrangement. <laughs> uh, unless you're in one of those Hannibal Lecter things. Just, but yeah, or the Arran- edible woman. 
which is another Maggie Atz book. Maggie Atz, a sidebar, y'all knew this, but Maggie Atz is prolific AF. I don't understand it. I can't write anything. Man. Like, I try. I try. I just, I don't know. Listen, I've been through a lot. Yeah, we all have. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So she has to leave. (laughs) They She gets regular clothes, modern clothes, and she leaves the prison and goes on a carnival cruise to go to America. And what is interesting is in doing quick, like, two-minute research about this, I read the Wikipedia page of The Real Grace Marks, and the entry to the actual history portion ends here. They're yeah, like, nobody knows what happened to this bitch. Nobody knows what happened to this bitch. So what follows is Margaret Atwood guessing. I'm here for it. I'm so here for it. I'm team Mary Whitney's ghost. <laughs> and I'm team what Margaret Atwood says happened, happened. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Except for she's never seen Bob's Burgers. And if we ever got her on the show, we'd be like, do you want to watch an episode of Bob's Burgers with us? <laughs> She'd be like, what's that? What's that? Oh, I love what they do on the little message board. Is it board. on Teletoon? I only watch Teletoon. <laughs> oh, I love it. The burger on the board in the background is a different pun every time. Oh, that's, get that's, it? That's pretty cool. Anyhow, they say that she's going across the sea to see a gentleman. Well, and a lake. Oh, lake. Yeah. Well, sea, lake. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> water. Water is water. Uh, so uh, she thinks in a very like Annie way that she's going to go to this new place just Maybe to clean again. now this prayer <laughs> is the last one of its kind. Girl, you know I was going to meet you. I, just, I was, I was like, what are you doing? It. Why are you just sitting there now singing maybe? But she but she, <laughs> she expects to just work again. Yeah, she thinks she's just getting a new placement. Yeah. And the governor's wife, who, by the way, the character that she played in Anne of Green Gables was Alice Lawson. Pew, 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 pew. She's like, well... Like, it's cool. Like, it's a good surprise. There's a gentleman. And Grace is like, that is not making me feel like this is a good surprise. Yeah, like, you All guys. All the surprises in my life that have involved <laughs> gentlemen ended bad. That's true. That's really inconsiderate of them to be like, ooh. But the only gentleman she can think of is Dr. Jordan. And that somehow he's involved. And she thinks that he must have written his letter yeah. to get her free. Yeah. So they get to a farm. Mm-hmm. They pull up, mm-hmm. and then a guy comes out, and it's a very unconvincingly aged-up <laughs> Jamie Walsh. Yeah. I was real <laughs> upset by this. Yeah. I really thought that they were going to cast a, a legit guy. older act. Because it's like Sarah Gaydon is 30. But yeah. the guy who played Jamie Walsh looks like a baby. <laughs> and so they he's got they got this John Muir looking motherfucker. <laughs> 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 they basically put like a like a costume they, store they beard put an on him. Amish beard on him. They like put fake ass wrinkles on his face. It, and like Sarah Gaydon's aging up isn't great. No, they made... And it's more so... Look, it's more so that neither of them really knows how to hold their bodies. Yeah. You can see them thinking, look older. Look older. <laughs> Sound older. Like, and they just don't. Ins- she does a better job. Yeah, because she's a better actress. But yeah. um, Sarah Gaydon's, like, aging up is basically, like, she brought in a reference picture for an old person. And they're like, this is the grandma from the Tweety cartoons. Are you sure? She's like, or yeah. Or the grandma from the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> 
She's like, yes, all grandmas have buns, glasses, pinched expressions. We're done here. Let's go. Also, you're only 45. Nope, this is it. No, no, no. <laughs> I taught, I taught, putty cat. Let's keep going. She's trapped again, basically. Yeah, he's, he's like, hey. I feel really bad about sending you to jail. And she's like, uh, don't worry about it. God, I'm so tired of these proposal stunts. Like, take <laughs> my whole family to Disneyland or like apologize for sending me to jail for murder. Like, geez, you're putting me on the spot. I hate it. I mean, at least it's not a flash mob. Oh, thank God. You know, you know, in the background somewhere, they're like, okay, when he gives a signal, we're going to dance out. And he's like, uh, she said, all right, I guess so. So don't, don't dance. Yeah, don't yeah, yeah, yeah. Cut, cut, cut. Grace just looks at him. Then she looks at the house, which I love. <laughs> Because she's like, is this worth it? And she's like, okay, you know what? It's Whatever. Cool. I'm going to do this. Like, Because she has no other options. Totally. She says. Once again, ugh. this bitch got no options. So this is basically like what she said early on where she's like, I don't really have a lot of hopes for the future. I just kind of hope that I have a better breakfast than I had yesterday. Yeah. So like, and this is can, the grand slam. Yeah, I was going to say, she can see there's a like free continental inside. Yeah. So. so she says, all right, then a thousand times. All right, then. <laughs> It's so anticlimactic. I dare you, America and Canada. <laughs> I dare you to propose marriage to me. And I will say, uh, all right. A thousand times. All right. JK, I won't say yes. But in the in the Princess Diaries book, the grandma is a lot meaner. And she says the thing that you should say anytime a man says he loves you or proposes marriage is you're very kind, which I think is such a cutting, awesome thing. It's amazing. Also, what I love about the grandma in the books is that she smokes like a goddamn chimney yes i love her she's so european uh, and not that i don't love my oh yeah look the movie is great Anyhow. i totally ship julie andrews and hector elizondo like let's not yes, be ridiculous yes, but yes she settles into the life that's basically mary whitney's pinterest board so okay so i feel that the letter to dr jordan begins here mm. you are suggesting that perhaps the letter began at the beginning yeah. of the show mm -hmm. okay yes cool just stating this for the record. Yep. They have a cat named Tabby. Who is a phenomenal cat actor. Give that, give that cat a maple. That is such a weird, like, I don't know what they were doing off screen, but the cat's head is like tilted all the way to the side. It's got a real wonky face, but I love it. And I want to take it's it home. It's great. And they have two horses, Charlie and Nell. Like and it? I love her face when she's hanging out with them. I'm like, oh my God, she's really happy for a change. That's the only time we see the real Grace is anytime she's petting a horse. Yeah. She just cannot hold or it Or when Jeremiah like just walked in. Yeah. Horses and cute guys, she's full of Mallory. We get a we get a little sequence of her and she's like, oh, you know, Jamie wanted to hire a girl to come <laughs> and do the work, but she didn't want one because servants pry and they listen at doors. And I like yelled at the TV <laughs> and also sometimes they kill you. <laughs> it's true. But I mean, you know, she, you know, she's pretty much just taken up doing what she always did, but for her own home. And she seems to be very contented and yeah. happy with it overall. Yeah. I mean, again, she didn't, even when, you know, Mary Whitney went through her Pinterest board, Grace <laughs> was like, I literally have never thought about yeah. anything in the future. Yeah. But the one fly in her ointment is, I can't decide how big of a fly this is because yeah. it is weird and gross. And I don't like Jamie Walsh. Really let it be gross. Said. Yeah. I don't like him so, either. So they're like just upstairs chilling. She's like, most of the time they get along and they don't argue, but... He's constantly saying how much suffering he caused her 
and making her tell him about what happened to her in the asylum. And then like, this is like his weird foreplay. He's a cuck. Yeah, sure. he's for sure a cuck, but she said that it reminds her of the way Dr. Jordan used to look at her. Yes. Which, again, I think is a mark in the Grace was definitely not in love with Dr. Jordan. She's no. only now being like, oh, he was into me the whole time. Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, it was well, just feeds on this theme that men feed on women's tragedy like carrion feeders. Mm-hmm. Like they want to pick it and they want to be the person that gets to hold it. And gets to form an opinion on her based on that. And it's disgusting. It's so gross that this, it's so shitty that this is part of her life. But we get a dope line Mm. that is so, I want to say chilling, but like, I don't even know that it's the word, but she says that she may have changed the details of some of her story to suit what she thought Jamie Walsh and Dr. Jordan wanted to hear. (laughs) I mean, that's another tally for me and Grace is making it up. Yeah. But I mean, and it is, I will say, chilling. It's a tally. I don't know that it convinces me particularly, but I'm like, there's just, again, we've come up with options one, two, and three. There's probably a four through 10 that we haven't even come up with. Right. You know? And this reminds me of something that the lawyer Mackenzie says that we didn't really dissect is he compares her to Scheherazade. Which I hate his comparison but please continue so Shahrazad, if you're not familiar is down bitch down well (laughs) (laughs) um well so (laughs) Shahrazad is a character who is like the framing story of the arabian night stories in that she is a woman betrothed to a king who kills his brides the night after he marries them to save himself from heartbreak. And so Shahrazad's whole deal is that she starts telling him a story the night of their wedding and she gets to a really juicy point right at the end of the night and is like, oops, I guess you have to kill me. And he's like, no, 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 no I'll wait. And so what happens is she stretches she like, this she like story out. Dread pilot, pirate Roberts is him. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, She's it's like, actually kind of the him. same. You'll most likely kill me in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she, she stretches out the story for a thousand and one nights and so the lawyer makes the comparison between grace and shahrazad and saying that why does shahrazad tell the stories to amuse the sultan and so but it's really to save her own life yeah so i think that is not a very good lawyer well it's a decidedly male reading of this right right? is like he thinks that she is telling him these stories in like a flirty way where and that shahrazad was doing that too where really both women if they are making it up, which Saharazad was and Grace is or isn't, is to <laughs> save their lives from being killed by men, basically. Yeah. To me, she is Shahrazad, but in the way that she's saving herself. And even if she's making up being possessed, it's just another mechanism of survival. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I love Shahrazad. Cool. Um, My point is that she was a down bitch because she was smart. Yeah, but like down is... Yeah, we can we can discuss that later. Uh, so tune in for our bonus episode: down bitch or not down bitch? Up we bitch can, or down bitch? Up the down bitch. I think <laughs> uh, we can discuss that during March sadness. Um, I'm God, so, I'm so I forgot excited. about March sadness. I'm so excited. We need to start like writing our cases now. Oh God, I cannot wait. So Grace says that she's forgiven Mary and Nancy 
for letting themselves be quote unquote done to death the way that they were. And then we see Dr. Jordan. So he is like laid out on a chaise lounge and his mom is in there with a doctor and he's like, listen, it's been however many years since your son was wounded in the civil war. (laughs) He's not getting better. And she's very upset and she goes over and she tries to say like, how are you today? He doesn't respond. She's got this letter that Grace has written him. Under her maiden name. Yeah. Which is interesting because presumably she's got to live under a different name now because people would know who Grace Marks is. So it's her last attempt to resist possession. She then is making something for her. What is she making for herself, Molly? A quilt. What kind of quilt? A tree of paradise. Oh my God. What's in the quilt? Okay. So she's got three fun things in a quilt. Quote unquote fun. <laughs> she's these are as these are too fun as down bitch is to share as <laughs> So she's got the things that she mentioned in her what she'd put in her keepsake album, more or less. She has a square from her prison nightgown. She's got a square from her they're triangles. She's got a triangle from her period petticoat given to her by Mary Whitney. And she has a triangle of the pink dress that Nancy was wearing the first day that she met her and that she escaped in. So she's got this three little triangles that are sort of at not the root of the tree, but like where the tree starts to branch off. Yeah. So sort of like where the, the where like the foliage starts. Yeah. She says, and I might start crying again. Oh. I can't even explain why, because I don't even know if I believe her. Yeah. I don't know if I believe her, but she Mm -hmm. says, in this way, we can all be together again. Or no, we can all be together. They were never all three together, unless ghosts are real. But it just, like, stabs me right in the lady heart. And then we get Simon's mom reading the end of the letter, and he just sort of, like, says, Grace. (laughs) And that's the end of Simon. We don't care. Well, um, I, I'd never thought about this before until I watched this, but it's so interesting that at the end of a story that's so much about the male gaze, we end up with these three female characters coming together mm-hmm. in a way. I was struck by this as well because it really feels so much, again, I think maybe this is the greatest sleight of hand is that you get to this point, you're like, oh my God, it wasn't about all these guys. It was about these women. Yeah. And the only reason it seems like it was about these guys was because they kept inserting themselves Mm -hmm. literally and figuratively. Yeah. Well, it was about women other than Grace, too. And I think what was the most revelatory for me in this reading is that like, oh, shit, it is a story about how Nancy Montgomery is ill used as well. Oh, yeah. That I did not understand that in my first reading, and I just understood that now. No, and I mean, it's heartbreaking. And then the final shot, we see Grace pinning up the quilt on her clothesline, and then we get a real long shot of her, and I, like, my whole body is tingling. Calling like, the cops. It's so scary. Yeah. She's just staring at the camera, and I'm like, what are you? What are you? What Ooh. are you? My heart is beating fast just thinking about like, it. Oof. Anyway, this was a great miniseries. Man, this was I good. I don't know. I want you guys to like it. I think they'll like it fine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They're going to like it. Okay. It's a good miniseries. Okay. Okay. If they don't like it, that's no problem. Okay. That's right. And I just, this is one more so than any of her other books where I would love to just like sit Maggie Atz down and be like, what do you really think? Mm-hmm. But I don't know that she knows or cares because that's not her thing. 
You know, like yeah. how she never cared what Offred's real name was. Yeah. But it's like with this, though, this had to be so deliberate. Like mm. there's a big difference between being like, oh, I don't know what this character's name was before it's not, I became. It's not important. Yeah. But like with this, she had to weave like she had to have like a serial killer tracking like zodiac board you know with like pieces of yarn That's and very like funny you know she had to map this all out and make sure that everything lined up and then that makes a quilt yeah <laughs> her bed is just a quilt of secrets ah oh, yes sir mine's an alias grace speaking of which we're missing the line that wigs me out the most what line is that the line where grace is saying she goes Jeremiah keeps my secrets and I'll keep his. Yeah. I wrote in all caps. I was like, what secrets? Cause I don't know no. what secrets unless it's number three. And it's like, okay, unless <laughs> he's like, he's like, don't, I won't tell anyone that you're making this up as long as you don't tell anybody that I use uh male pattern baldness shampoo. And she's like, totally done, done. I mean, it makes more sense in the book. Like there's, there's an alternate, interpretation of that in right. the book that makes more we'll sense get but to. and it's not any less confusing in the book mm-hmm. but i mean he he knows about her previous life you know i don't know if it's that he's not outing her as where what? she as as grace marks they also don't go into why she was released in this yeah and we know it can't be that dr jordan wrote a letter because he was like, dear Brevin Verringer, I can't write this letter. Guess I'll go shoot at some, you know, racists. Mm. And then he's been incapacitated <laughs> for yeah. these many years. So I wonder, too. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. But I was thinking read Jeremiah's secrets is maybe it's that she could out him as like a charlatan. Oh, yeah. That's his secret that she's keeping yeah. is that he is a chameleon yeah. and that he has taken on this style of being a gentleman when he's not. Yeah. That's what that is. In terms of what her secrets are that he's keeping, that's what confuses me. Mm, I don't know. Because it's like, did they have an arrangement before the trance session of what she was going to say? Was he like, oh my God. Well, and I'm just, I'm now putting, so like when Dr. Jordan's like, oh, did she do this to hurt me? I was thinking of it as like a sexual jealousy. And I think that's how he was coming at it. But what if she felt like he was coming too close to some truth that she didn't want him to have. But like, so then she threw this, I don't know. Maybe she was concerned that if they kept talking, he had some technique to draw out of her, which she doesn't remember, but maybe she remembers all of it. Hmm. I'm not sure. Maybe she's been claiming she doesn't remember any of this, but I'm not sure how that would be different than confessing as Mary Whitney quite. I just mean, if she was worried that he would hit something and she would accidentally say as Grace, like, oh, yeah, I strangled Nancy Montgomery. Because it's Grace Um, saying it versus they're now in this murky territory where he doesn't feel confident mm. and it's upsetting enough. and It works. If Mm -hmm. that is indeed the case, he leaves. Mm -hmm. He never sees her again after that. Mm, Yeah. (sighs) All right. Anyway, listen. We've talked about this for a long, long time. Yeah. And there's plenty more to talk about in the book (laughs) recaps. Great. Because we can get into more of sort of like things that are said in the book that didn't make it to this adaptation. Mm -hmm. There are a couple things where I think it was a mistake to leave them out. Okay. But we'll get into that the next time. 
Ooh. And so, yeah. So thanks for watching Alias Grace with us, everybody. Ooh. We hope that you enjoyed it. Yeah. And that you're not too scared. Hug your female friends close. Yes, indeed. And no lite teba stardes carborundorum. Dum 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 I was trying to harmonize. It's okay. It's fine. Anyway. Semi-sonic. Call me. Get it?